Run for your lives because the movie men are rooting, tooting and riding back into town and this time we're taking it over. I'm Callum O'Toole and sitting over there is only the brains behind the wonderful latestpictureshow.com blog, Johnny Smith. How are you doing, Johnny? I'm alright, I'm alright. Good all right. week? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Yeah. For those who listened to our last show, you'll know Johnny's going back to school at the moment to really learn how to talk about film. How's that, how's that treating you? That's alright. I had a, a lecture yesterday on, it was like the history of film theory in about 40 minutes, which right. was pretty intense and complicated. <laughs> Condensed. You know, all those things where we use words like post-structuralist and things, so you have no idea what's going on. Post-avant-garde, neoclassical. Yeah. yeah, neoclassical, formalist structure of film, hypothetical theory. You go, <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, obviously. Well, loosely based on structures, I'm going to sidle over to government and uh, the Home Secretary Amber Rudd. Who I had no idea was the Home Secretary. Never heard of her. I've no, heard her name, but I couldn't tell you what she did. <laughs> no. Well, she revealed at the Tory party conference, which sounds like a barrel of laughs, probably like a modern-day Nuremberg rally, <laughs> that she worked as an aristocracy coordinator on Four Weddings and a Funeral, the 1994 Brit rom-com classic. Uh, th- that basically involved getting people dressed in smart clothes to mill around the set so they didn't have to pay full price to the extras, so... Getting into the classic Tory mould early, there was some worker exploitation. <laughs> but in the history of cinema... What other films do you think may have benefited from an unusual secret crew member? And what other films do you think may have had something along those lines? I was I was thinking you could you probably need in James Bond films mm-hmm. sort of a an henchman right and proper death coordinator. Yes, yeah. Because you know there's a lot of people dying in the background in James Bond. Yeah, and, and uh, you know so basically the extras. But people someone's, pro- someone's got to watch them and say you're dying in the wrong way. You, yeah. you've fallen off that balcony. <laughs> You you've know, been gored in an incorrect fashion. You've been shot and you've, you know, you're rolling too much. Yeah. Just, just die slowly in the corner. Yeah. So I think you probably need someone like that just to coordinate all the chaos going on around it. Yeah, this, what's your favourite James Bond death? When um, Goldfinger gets sucked out of the plane. Oh, that's is, good. Is a ridiculous... Because he's so fat. Yeah. Yet he somehow gets through the plane window in a really bad sort of bit of early CGI. There's the, the guy in... Is it Licence to Kill when... Uh, is it Sanchez, who's like the main bad guy, when he puts the guy in the pressure thing and cuts the thing with an axe and then his head just balloons up. The actor just like puffs his cheeks out and like <laughs> makes his eyes wide. Then it like cuts, like a cutaway to, to like Benicio Del Toro's face, cuts back and it's clearly like a papier-mâché head. It's like explode, mid-explosion. I mean, it's like when Oddjob gets electrocuted. He's literally just holding onto two metal poles going, <laughs> Oh no. I, you know, I moulded around a few ideas on this. Um, one, my first one I came up with was a shit sandwich maker for Ocean's <laughs> Eleven because there's a lot of shit-eating grins in that film. <laughs> but then uh, after that, I went to Django, Quentin Tarantino's indulgence coordinator. I was I was mulling down the Tarantino <laughs> route as well. Yeah, Quentin Tarantino's indulgence coordinator. who just goes, yeah, yeah, you can go and do an Australian <laughs> accent in this film, which apparently I read was because he couldn't actually do a southern accent. So ironically, he did another accent that he can't do. So if, if that was the second best alternative, then that's worrying. But what I really settled on, and I think would appeal to a lot of people, and a lot of people would want this job, is the Wolf of Wall Street's narcotics coordinator slash researcher. Yep. So you're basically the guy who goes out and finds out what lewds are, tests out the lewds, rolls around the floor, gets all praying mantis, like Leonardo DiCaprio gets, and then, you know, going on planes and humping air stewardesses. So, yeah, the narcotics coordinator from the Wolf of Wall Street. That's a pretty good job. Just going back to the Tory party conference, do you reckon anyone there has actually seen a film? Certainly not one in colour. <laughs> I 
imagine it's similar to Michael Owen when when they asked him and he said, "I don't watch films. They're not they're not real. I don't get them." <laughs> I've only seen ten films in his life. Obviously. Is your imagination that flat, Michael? Like nothing can be outside of reality. Well, when you spend that amount of time with horses and not people, I think something starts to happen to your mind. Well, did you see there was that picture of him recently? We went for a run and found a dead ferret. And and there's a picture of him like having a selfie, and he's so happy, just with a dead ferret next to him. <laughs> I know, I didn't see. You, well, you have to look it up. The man's that lost bit, his mind. So that's that's the sort of person who doesn't like films. Took a job looking for some men to join. Is it difficult? Impossible. How many you got so far? You and me. <laughs> That man murdered my husband. I want something. I take it. He will take everything we have. So you seek revenge? I seek righteousness. But I'll take revenge. Tonight, then, we'll be reviewing the new Magnificent Seven remake, which came out last week. It's directed by Antoine Fuqua, and it sees Denzel Washington play the leader of a group of, you guessed it, seven gunslingers in the Old West, who are hired to defend a small town from a land grab by the vicious and barbaric Bartholomew Bogue, who's played by Peter Sarsgaard. The ragtag band of seven includes Ethan Hawke as a Cajun former sharpshooter suffering a crisis of confidence, and Chris Pratt as the hard-drinking, hard-gambling, boring character Joshua Faraday, who really didn't add a great deal to the film. Um, <laughs> anyway, Johnny, this is obviously a remake of a remake, because the yeah. original Magnificent Seven was based on Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. Is this a step too far, a remake of a remake? I think at this point in Hollywood, then, you know, anything's fair game. If you can repackage it and remake it, then it will be done. Because mm-hmm. we'll probably have another Magnificent, we'll have the Magnificent Eight yeah. next year, or six, depending on which way you're looking at it. Magnificently Seeking Seven, or something along those yeah. lines. Yeah, or they'll, they'll make one where it'll be seven women instead. Like, um, that's the ghost, classic, like Ghostbusters. That's a classic way of... of getting mileage out of an already overdone concept. <laughs> yeah. This is from sort of, a, you know, a classic Western with all the stereotypes and elements that you expect from the genre. Obviously, last week we we talked about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And we did. Also, Hello High Water. Is this in the same kind of vein as the classic Westerns or is it something slightly I, different? I would say it's pretty much in, exactly in the vein. In fact, it couldn't be more <laughs> classic Western if it tried, really. Yeah, I just guns. You know, just... Thin, thin holy plot. Yeah, a lot of steely gazes and, and shootouts and nice sweeping mm-hmm. sort of, you know, countryside shots. and It's just oh, it's classic Western material. Very black and white as well, goodies, bad guys. Yeah, it sort of felt like there were a lot of other Westerns sort of influencing it. High Plains Drifter and those Clint Eastwood films. And and uh, there's a lot of nods to the original as well, to, you know, going on the same vein, as you'd expect, obviously being a remake. There's a lot of lines in the film that are repeated. In fact, half the script seems to be taken from the original. There's nothing too clever in there. You know, we were talking about last week, Hell or High Water, which was kind of a Western, but, you know, with a modern twist on it. Yeah. Whereas this is just... A Western with a Western Western twist. 101. A whiskey with a whiskey chaser. This is, you know, man goes into a saloon, has a shootout, and it's classic, that sort of thing. Man leaves saloon, has another shootout. Yeah. There's um, a lot of shootouts. Without breaking his stride, sort of thing. No. Denzel's the, the outlaw of a few words. There didn't used to be as much style and glitz in the old style westerns. It was a bit raw and grittier. I mean, people look sweaty and, and haggard in the yeah. old ones. You know, like Eli Wallach, and he's just an ugly, sweaty man. And the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he looks like a bloke who's been in the desert for too long. Whereas in, in this magnificent, it is nice and glossy. Which of the sort of magnificent seven do you think 
stand out the most. I've mentioned well, Chris I think Pratt. You, obviously, Denzel, Denzel Washington is the, the main man. Phoning it in, though, a little bit, I think. Uh, was it Sam, Denzel, Sam Chisholm? Denzel could do that in his sleep. Yeah, I don't think he had to act particularly no. hard. But he was, he was good. He's a good presence as the sort of... He was just Denzel the being anti-hero, Denzel. anti-hero, yeah. There's, there's obviously a lot of focus on Chris Pratt and Ethan Hawke's characters as well. Ethan Hawke's character, I thought, was you know, quite, quite well-constructed, but quite quickly changed his moods a bit he, too frequently. He's the only one that sort of is, you know, is a bit fallible mm. and has sort of issues. He's got this, like, post-traumatic stress from the Civil War, so he's not the sharpshooter he once was. But yeah, as you said, it quickly sort of glossed over. You know, he gets over it. Yeah, very, very quickly. Chris Pratt was... I'd, I'd, I I, kind of thought at the beginning of the film, I was like, do you know what? I quite like Chris Pratt in spite of myself. And then by the end of it, I was like... He, why was I mean, Chris film? Pratt just basically plays the Han Solo role in everything. Yeah, he plays the same Cheeky, character. cheeky chappy, yeah. you know. But yeah, his character started off quite interesting, but then really didn't. No, he didn't amount to. Didn't anything. get fleshed out. A lot of the, lot of the those central characters didn't really get fleshed out. I don't think even Sam Chisholm. I mean, really Sam Chisholm's motives are pretty mysterious yeah. and, and dubious. I think you know the two characters you want to see more of is you know Byung Hun Lee as Billy Rocks, the uh, ninja assassin, and Martin Sensmeyer as Red Harvest, who's the Comanche warrior that joins them. They were the most interesting I think that it was the classic thing of the Magnificent Seven. Let's make it ethnically diverse. You mm-hmm. know, we've got these different characters, ages and backgrounds. But that's all they were, you know. He's an Asian cowboy, but that's all he is. <laughs> yeah. And the other one is a, you know, Native American. But Just so they can get... So what? It, it looks good, but it doesn't actually add anything to the plot. Just so they can use the stereotyped elements of those characters' nationalities to get yeah. into the film. And then the final character of, of the Seven is Jack Horn, who... We it, forgot it, the other one, Va- very Vasquez. High... Oh, Vasquez, yeah, yeah. I mean, he has sorry. literally no... He was quite forgettable. Yeah, he's just a tag-along. Yeah. Uh, Jack Horn, who's, you know, he's kind of... He's a very high-pitched voice. It's kind of like a, like a bear has swallowed Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and just started... It was very odd. And then he apparently killed loads of, uh, you know, Native Americans, but becomes friends with the Native American anyway, despite the fact he used to kill loads of them. He just so. goes around scalping Native Americans, but mm. is quite happy to work alongside one. Yeah. So, you know, is this film anything more than just a bit of blockbuster entertainment, or is it just that's what it, it is? It really is just blockbuster entertainment. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed it, and I had, I, you know, I had a good time. You you can't not sort of enjoy a good big shootout at the yeah. end. And I'm partial to a Western, so I did enjoy it, but no, there's nothing more going on below the surface. A lot of the cinematography as well seemed to focus around Hayley Bennett's cleavage. Do you yeah. notice how often they had a, in like an unbuttoned shirt? Yeah, her cho- choice of, of wardrobe was uh, dubious to she say the an least. enormous amount like Jennifer Lawrence. Yes, I think Every it... time I see her in something, I saw her in the trailer for The Girl on the Train, I thought it was Jennifer Lawrence, and then I saw her at the beginning of this, and I was like, that could, is that Jennifer? No. She reminded me of Kate Bush a bit at times as well. What, she, just a rendition of some, Wuthering Heights in the middle of the shootout. Jumping around, prancing around in a very loose... That would have been a better dress. addition to the, you know, take one of them out and put Kate Bush in as the last, <laughs> last Magnificent Seven. J- Jack Horn could probably sing like Kate Bush with that <laughs> high-pitched voice, to be honest. Let's sort of rate this film out of ten then. Johnny, you can go first. I'm going to go with a seven. Seven? If you're yeah. looking for blockbuster entertainment there's no CGI it's sort of old school thrills and entertainment yeah. so I don't feel it kind of got the right balance between the light hearted and the serious elements it was a bit too caricatured and uh, it did lack the grittiness of those original westerns you know like even the wanted posters that Denzel Washington was producing were like perfectly printed and preserved so um, 
yeah, I felt it lacked a little bit of authenticity. Um, but it was an enjoyable yarn. Pushing the six. I'm going to give it a six. I'll just be generous. You've convinced me. It was entertaining, which, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Isn't I mean, it? there's a lot of worse blockbusters out there. I mean, it would have been... They could have dug up the original cast of Magnificent Seven. Yule Brenner. <laughs> they could have been the Magnificent Geriatrics. I mean... Steve McQueen. I think Robert Vaughan's the only one still alive. Yule Brenner. <laughs> they could have just got the old Yule Brenner from... You're uh, better from Cool Runnings. Yeah, got him in. They, they should have definitely got him in, but they'd, as you, they'd already filled up their ethnic quota. They could have got him, they could have got Robert Vaughan, who's still going, mm-hmm. and they could have got Steve McQueen, the black film director, yeah. to fill in. And then Charles Bronson, they could have got The Prisoner. <laughs> and yeah, I like it. Then you're, I'm struggling. This is the remake. This is Magnificent Eight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's going to be like Magnificent Three and a Half. <laughs> <laughs> We have come then to challenge time. And I think, Joey, I think this week you're going to enjoy this challenge. Um, I've kept it along the numerical theme. And uh, I've decided to give us a countdown to six, uh, from six to one. Obviously, because we've already done seven, we'll go six okay, to one, yeah. right? So all these films have a number in the title. And I'm going to give you uh, a, little, a little clue as to what the film is. You're going to have to guess what it is. Some of them are very, 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 very easy. Because I'm kind to you as a person who likes to brutalise me with the names of characters. Yeah. Sam Chisholm, remember him? I had to write that down because I certainly wouldn't have remembered Joshua it. Joshua Faraday, which I have written down. I, I, I only remember the Good night, good down. night. R- Robichaud. Robichaud. <laughs> I spent the whole film going, sort of, what's his name? <laughs> yeah. And then at the end it was written Robichaud. on something, I went, oh yeah. Robichaud, yeah, I, I, yeah, I can work. And then I, I read work. it and I went, I still don't know what that word is. <laughs> yeah. Some of them are very easy and the first one is extremely easy. So this is going to have six in the title. You probably already guess what it is. The clue is, a guy you appear to hate for his twisty endings, and this is probably his most famous one. The Sixth Sense. There we go. Getting you off to a good start. Building your confidence. Early, twisty Johnny. twisty endings. Uh, and the second one, this is number five. So the number five we're looking for here. Uh, this is going to have Bruce Willis again. He goes looking for some stones with Mila Jovovich to save the earth. Um... Luke Besson directed. The Fifth Element. Yes, That's there it. we go. There's I'm five. Struggling uh, four. I'm not going to be generous and give you four weddings and a funeral. I'm going to. I'm going to give it something a bit more Let's, difficult. We'll save that for the Tory conference. So the one with the four in the title is Michael Caine and Pierce Brosnan in a Cold War spy drama. Mm. Another clue mm. based on a book written by Frederick Forsyth. Hmm. The fact it's got Piers Brosnan in it, it's not James Bond, it's always a worrying sign. And let's tie it back to the Tory Pie conference as well. Margaret Thatcher always claimed to be reading this book when she was asked in interviews. You know how like they... What, for like eight years? Yeah, yeah. Because you, know, like, you know like politicians aren't actual real people, so they, they just, just have, have to like give designated... answers. So when David Cameron said he supported West Ham, then he said he supported Aston Villa because he got confused as to which one because they're both claret and blue. Because you do that a lot when you support a football team. Yeah. Because one week you're at Upton Park and then you forget that you support West Ham. <laughs> Next week yeah. you're at Villa Park Actually. going, oh. And then when Aston Villa and Burnley play each other, you have a oh, you're meltdown. All over the shop. You have a half and half scuff. Thank God Scunthorpe are in the lower leagues. That's all I can say. <laughs> um, um, I'm struggling this one. I'm just going to say f- four houses. <laughs> <laughs> Where did that come know. from? 
Uh, it's the fourth protocol. Yeah, I wasn't going to get that. Okay. I've got two for three. Um, so this one, two rappers join the co-creator of Jackass and a man who sells coffee and they be stealing the gold. God, this sounds like a good film. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually a brilliant film. I actually bought it from Charity Shop the other day on DVD. I just don't know. I'm really struggling with this. Three Kings. Ah. <clears throat> Golf War. Two former rappers, Ice Cube and Mark Wahlberg, Marky Mark. Co-creator of Jackass, Spike Jones, And a man who now sells coffee, George Clooney. That is an excellent yeah. lead-in, now that yeah. I think about it. I yeah. forgot Mark Wahlberg was a Well, rapper. I thought I had to give you some slightly more difficult Mark, ones. Mark. I'll give you another one for three, okay? Just see if you can get this one instead. Comedy Western, starring Chevy Chase, Martin Short and Steve Martin. Almost the Magnificent Seven spoof, almost. Um, and the plot is that they're silent film actors who are mistaken for real-life heroes in Mexico. I do know this one, the, the Three Amigos. Three Amigos, yeah, there we go. Because you can't... That's a funny film. You know, Chevy like Chase, anything with Chevy Chase is, is, you know, you're onto a winner. <laughs> Worth a watch. Uh, oh, this is... Ba- oh, God, this is a terrible film, I think. I've never seen it, but it's definitely bad. This is number two. Probably another shocking rom-com starring Hugh Grant, this time opposite Sandra Bullock. It has a grammatically incorrect title. <laughs> uh, not two weddings in a funeral. No. Too shit to name. <laughs> it is what it could have been called. It's two weeks notice. And it was actually cited... I feel like I've watched this on a plane. <laughs> it's got plane film written all over There's it. There's always something better to watch on a plane <laughs> than this. I watched, loads of, I watched loads of great films on the last plane, Jay. I was on watch Selma. I watched Black Mass. You're watching the two weeks notice, I think I must have been on a crap flight. <laughs> it was EasyJet. And it was on your phone because yeah. you downloaded it. I'll give you two options for one. So uh, the first one is from the year England won the World Cup. Basically has Raquel Welsh running around in a furry bikini showing lots of cleavage in prehistoric times. Is it like 1000 BC or something? So close. One million years BC. <sighs> 1000 years BC wouldn't have had a really shit animatronic T-Rex running around. One million years BC. I Even one million scientifically years. Scientifically not, <laughs> just not a thing. Maybe they're going biblical. Of course. Yeah. One million years BC. Yeah, it's yeah, that is so funny, that animatronics. If you think uh, King Kong versus Godzilla from the 50s was shit animatronics, then <laughs> this is the same. We're basically just a man holding a puppet, whacking it into stuff. <laughs> the best is those ones from the 50s, those B-movies, where it's like attack of the giant scorpion, <laughs> and it's literally a scorpion that's just been superimposed <laughs> yeah, yeah. On, on like a toy town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, that is actually just a scorpion you put there. Okay, so I could give you that, but I'm going to give you one more chance to get one bang on. So there's another one. Robin Williams develops an unhealthy obsession with a family he occasionally provides a service to. Ah, uh, classic uh, Robin Williams in working in Walmart mm. in <clears throat> One Hour Photo. One Hour Photo, yep. Good uh, job. Yep. So not too bad there, even yeah, though there was a couple of curveballs right. in there. There was some very it sounded easy. <clears throat> At the beginning, actually, it was easy. It... The first two were very easy. Yeah, I was then struggling. <laughs> Once Pierce Brosnan came into it, it became a blur. He'll throw you. He'll throw you with his roguish Irish ways. <laughs> They build jails because of me. Judges have handed out over 15,000 man years of incarceration time based on my investigation. You got today and today only to show me who and what you're made of. You hear me? That's it. That's what I'm talking about. To accompany the Magnificent Seven this week, we'll be taking a trip back to 2001. 
the year of Stanley Kubrick's Space Odyssey, to review Training Day. Not because of any thematic similarities, it's not a Western, but because of its cast and crew. As it too is directed by Antoine Fuqua, and just like The Magnificent Seven, it stars both Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke. This time they're LAPD narcotics detectives, with Washington as the notorious Alonzo Harris, who's tasked with evaluating Hawke's more junior officer, Jake Hoyt, on a tour around the shady drug hotspots of Los Angeles. So, as I mentioned, Ethan Hawke and Denzel both star in these two films. How much have they changed in the intervening years, in the last 15 years, between Training Day and Magnificent Seven? Surprisingly little. Yeah. I mean, Denzel Washington doesn't seem to age no. in the last... The guy's 20, like 25, 62, isn't he? You know, but he doesn't look any different to what he no. did in Malcolm X, which is an impressive feat, whereas I think Ethan Hawke always looked a bit shit and a bit yeah. haggard, and he always got that really nasty bit of goatee facial hair. So he's still, you know... Hasn't changed too much. He's got the same facial hair. He's still very recognisable from the Dead Poets Society, really, Ethan Hawke. He's still, you know, well, because he's the same man. Um, but, you know, as I said, it's, you know, set around the drug hotspots of LA. And um, they actually filmed a lot of it around real life LA areas that were controlled by street gangs. And the street gangs, like, let them in for the, the first time to be able to film these areas. So, you know, we've seen LA being used as a typical backdrop for countless films. But does Training Day, how does Training Day use the city itself as an element in the story? The thing I like in Training Day is he really, they really sort of get to grips with it and show it as this pretty horrible place full of sort of poverty and drug addicts and gangs, and you sort of really get the sense that it is a horrible, nasty, corrupt city. It's well, like watching Taxi Driver, yeah. you get this feeling that New York in the 70s is a vile place, and you get a similar sort of you know, feeling here watching Training Day. Well, I think that's, you know, that's a lot of the credit has to go to Anton Fuqua for actually getting into those areas and talking about Fuqua you know is is this his best film I think it has to be when you look at his his catalogue from then I mean we've got what have we got since then just to name if you've got Tears of the Sun Brooklyn's Finest Olympus Has Fallen The Equaliser Southpaw and now Magnificent Seven and uh, Shooter lots lots of well known recognisable films they're all sort of they're very much the same that sort of Mm. you know not too deep action sort of orientated entertainment Brooklyn's Finest is a good film I think it's sort of um, you can see that it's an early Fuqua film in the way that it's more Training Day than it is Magnificent Seven it's still not as good as Training Day he's probably got more commercial projects now which have less yeah he's definitely artistic become, merit in them yeah than... he's become a lot more Hollywood over time hasn't he he's less, less gritty now less, less authentic, authenticity I think that's a really key word to like stress about this whole podcast really sort of my buzzword of the podcast is like Magnificent Seven, not authentic. Training Day couldn't be more authentic. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It's Training Day very much dirt under the nails sort of approach of, yeah. of really showing the stuff you don't really want to see. You know, LA's sort of always quite glamorous mm. in one sense. Or there's that sort of Hollywood glamour in there, even if it's in a seedy fashion. Whereas this is just, you know, the arse end of the city. I don't want to give the ending away too much of Training Day, but a lot of people found the ending of it quite unsatisfying. Because it's it's not really very realistic that you know the, the way things pan out, and you could say the same about Magnificent Seven, the, the interactions between, like I said, the Jack Horn character and the Indian, uh, the Native American guy who, sorry, not PC, and the Native American character who's you know like race he's been slaughtering for a long well, yeah. time, and it's the same sort of with the street gangs and the police in Training Day. So you know, do you think that's a big problem? Or I think. I'm watching it back. The great thing about it, it leads to a lot of places, but you're never quite sure where it's going with it. You know, every time they stop off somewhere, you don't know if it's getting up in a shootout yeah. or 
Ethan Hawke's going to end up in trouble or Denzel's going to do something mad. Constant tension. There is constant tension. You're constantly fearful of, of you know, Jake's situation in it. But then the ending does, doesn't, it isn't satisfying. There is something that doesn't quite fit together in it's it. It's quite a Hollywood, Hollywood ending, I think, in a way. It, it, yeah, it goes back on sort of everything that's built and, yeah. and makes this sort of kind of slightly cliched. Which is very interesting, actually, because Denzel recently revealed that there was a story behind it. They were going to do the ending the, the, did the opposite of what actually happens. Uh, but Denzel convinced the director to change the ending to how it actually is. So it'd be interesting to see if they'd done it the other way around. Well, Alonzo Harris, who he plays, is one of cinema's greatest villains. And it is an Oscar-winning performance from Denzel. He won the Best Actor Award that year in 2001. Worth it? Yeah, I think definitely. It's yeah. a real, you know, such a powerful performance because he's this larger-than-life character. And the great thing is, for the majority of the film, you are wondering... Is he all right, really? He's just this tough cop who's giving mm. tough love to the new guy. And then you're like, actually, he is a horrible asshole. He's <laughs> got all these sort of, you know, life lessons. Everything boils yeah. down to these sort of catchphrases he has. He always says, you know, go home or go to jail and yeah. things. You know, talks in metaphors and stuff. He's quite pompous. He's established his own morality, basically. Yeah, I think he? that's the thing. And he has this sort of... He spent so long on the street in that street sort of environment that he's blurred the line between street justice and real justice and uh, see David Ayer wrote Training Day yes he's more, more famous now for Fury and Suicide Squad Four. so I think his script is a big part of why the film is so good because it does have this these phrases and things come round and it all fits together quite nicely the way they sort of you yeah. know the meaning changes by the end of the film of mm. you know what he's saying um, whereas you look at The Magnificent Seven and Nick Pizzolatto who did True Detective wrote it but you know the Magnificent Seven script is totally unmemorable yeah and I think it shows the shift from Training Day is very much his character based well made drama and then the Magnificent Seven is sort of you know overblown fun yeah right out of ten Training Day I'll give it a nine and let it off the hook for its ending that doesn't quite wrap it up as nicely as you'd hope I'll yeah. give it an eight point five. I think it, it, it could, to be fair, it could be pushed to nine. It could be pushed to nine again. I've been pretty harsh this week, but I'm going to stick with my eight point five just because I'm not entirely sure that that ending's quite what it should be. But the rest of the film, brilliant, so much great stuff in it. Yeah, Snoop Dogg in a wheelchair, and Dr. Dre as a policeman. Very realistic scenarios. Two thousand and one. What a year! If you if you got Snoop Dogg and Dre in a film, you know it's going to be good. Like have you ever seen The Wash? Yes, I have the, the soundtrack to The Wash. <laughs> the Wash. <laughs> the best concept for a film. Snoop Dogg and Dre get lean and run a car wash. How great was the 90s for like those hilarious just rapper films? I remember watching How High with Method, and, <laughs> Method Man and Red Man. Yes. Where Method Man goes back to college. And he's a college student, but he's Method Man. He's like 40. And then in the end, I can't remember what happens, but they basically save the day by getting everyone really high. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so I love good. the fact these films were made. Someone went, yes, I will finance that film. That sounds like a <laughs> yeah. good idea. They pretty financed it themselves. It was the 90s in LA, anything went. I didn't sign up for this. You think I'm crazy, right? We communicate and talk to you. Say it. Say it. I think you're a road cop. Learned a lot of things on these streets, boy. Good things and bad things, too. Well, we've come to that part of the show where it is three fast, three furious. Johnny's going to review some trailers for us in 30 seconds. Three trailers, 30 seconds. I think, are they good ones this week, Johnny, or are they more of the, more of the terrible uh, trailers? We've got a mixed we've bag, actually. A mixed bag. I've, I've gone for a diverse range. 
Good to see. Always a world about diversity on this show. So I'm going to put some time on the clock. You've got 30 seconds. Johnny, I'm going to count you down. Three, two, one. Bam. The Greasy Strangler. A strong contender for Strangers Film of the Year. There's some genitals, some bizarre deaths, some pink pile neck jumpers, and a serial killer covered in grease. Next. Uh, ghost in shell. Ghost in the shell. Scarlett Johansson gets a Liam Gallagher haircut and a big gun and goes in a dark, brooding, 50-second long teaser for the remake of the cult Japanese anime. Next. Oh, sorry, I missed it. Should be. Um, fences. Our main man Denzel is back with this intense family drama just in time for the Oscars. Looks pretty gritty, pretty gripping with Viola Davis co-starring. Okay. Right, so <laughs> Greasy Strangler. The Greasy Strangler is definitely a trailer <laughs> worth watching. It yeah. looks utterly bizarre. I think I did see this trailer. Who's in it? I've no idea. <laughs> I mean, it looks really weird. Really, really weird. So it could either be... Is it the pick of the three, do you think? Just because it's so weird. Yeah. I think it will either be brilliant or probably the worst thing you'll ever watch. I think I know which one it's going to be. <laughs> um, and then we had The Ghost in the Shell. Scarlett Johansson's big film that's coming out next year. The trailer's only 57, 57 seconds long, so you don't really is it, gain a lot from it. What was that other one she did where she was... Was it Lucy or something? Yeah, similar sort of vibes to that, yeah. I think. Um, it's it's sort of got a bit of stick because Scarlett Johansson's the lead character, not an Asian actor. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of that going around. So, uh, And then finally, we had Fences, which is uh, good old Denzel. And I think he plays a former baseball star. Uh, African-American baseball star and he's now hard times working as a bin man where's it set? Um, I couldn't quite work out when it's set but it looks sort of like 50s, 60s American there's a very good podcast about the Negro Leagues the other day interesting stuff and there was that film about the Negro Leagues with I can't remember who was in it but it not I think Harrison Ford was in it maybe Fields of Gold? no it was called like 47 or something that's not in the film I'm looking for is it Fields of Gold? Fields of Field of Dreams? Field of Dreams Blind... Fields of Gold's the song <laughs> Build it and they will come. So no no building in this, but I think it, it <laughs> originally started as a play, so it's yeah. meant to be word heavy. But th- I think it's one of those where those two performances will probably be certainly be around the Oscars. Yes, because uh, in and around the Oscars, Denzel looks like he gives it gives it his all, and and Violet Davis is very good in everything she turns up in. It's prolific, Denzel, isn't he? He's directed it as well, actually. Him so. and Samuel L. Jackson between them have probably got every film covered. But I can't think of a film they've both been in together. Have you ever seen them in the same room? <laughs> I've never seen them in the same room. So, you do the math. If they are one man, then that is then he is working hard. <laughs> He's earning his paychecks. Denzel L. Jackson. <laughs> Denzel L. Jackson. <laughs> Denzel L. Denzel L. Cool Jackson. <laughs> Ladies love Cool Jackson. <laughs> now let's practice it. Where's my bitches? Where's my bitches? Where's my bitches? Where's my bitches? You gotta say it together. It goes in together. Where my bitches? Where my bitches? Okay, check this out. Where my bitch? Where my bitch? Can we just say employees? What about your employees? Oh, fuck. Finish off this week with a top five related to our films. So, it's over to Johnny for this one. It is. Um, so, I've gone for top five remakes, because obviously the mm-hmm. magnificence of being a remake of a remake. Top five remakes if of remakes of remakes. If I was going to make remakes of remakes, it would be hard going. <laughs> so, I've gone for remakes, you know, because the remake isn't always the bad one. Sometimes no. it's better than the original, which we... Don't think of because there are so many utter shit remakes. <laughs> yes. So yeah, there was a time when remakes were actually okay. I mean, it is heavily weighted towards the utter shit and the. I would say the eight, from my, this list, the eighties was a real heyday for remaking films better. Right. Okay. Whereas now is a heyday for remaking films worse. Mm. 
first one on the list is The Fly from 1986. Oh, yeah, that is a remake. I never think of that as a remake because it's so, like, like the definitive version. Um, So, David Cronenberg um, and Jeff Goldblum. Mm -hmm. It's a remake of the 1958 same-name film, which had Vincent Price in, which sort of tells you everything. It's a classic (laughs) B-movie. Yeah. Where the bloke literally ends up with the head of a fly at one point. (laughs) I bet the uh, special effects were ropey. I I bet it's, you know, to watch it back now will probably be hilarious. But, uh, in the eighties version, the special effects is well. That's sort of David David Cronenberg's thing is, you know, these really over the top special effects that aren't CGI. They're just that horrible body, you know, sort of horror. Mm. Um, so and it, it good the, beer as well. It's also very funny, the eighty six version because Jeff mm. Goldblum slowly turns into a fly, and every time uh, the girl comes around to see him, he's got slightly worse. <laughs> So towards the end of the film, he is in a terrible, terrible way. It's sort of bits of him are falling off and things. Uh, number two, I've gone for Scarface from 1983. Uh, Brian De Palma's uh, film about Tony Montana and his sort of rise up the ranks of the Miami gangster world. Mm-hmm. And that is a remake of the 1932 film called Scarface by Howard Hawks that was actually about Al Capone, mm-hmm. or sort of loosely based on Al Capone. So a bit of an unconventional remake, you know, taking the sort of 30s Al Capone setting and sticking yeah. it into glossy Miami in the 80s. and But I mean, so, a bit of a masterstroke in the end because, you know, Tony Montana is one of the most sort of iconic characters in film history. See, I love the my little friend. And you've got some really good 80s montage pieces in there of counting money and going to banks. Yeah, yeah. It's like probably ultimate montage. And very 80s clothing as well. Yeah, big, big, big white suits. Big white suits and, suits and collars. Collars. Collars as far as the eye can see. <laughs> Collars galore. Is <laughs> and cocaine. One? Cocaine. Lots of cocaine. Shit loads of cocaine. <laughs> like, you know, slightly great Richard Bake Off in there. I've, the, I think the recurring theme is that a lot of horror films get remade for the better. Mm. So at number three, I've got The Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978. Uh, was that a remake? It is a remake. I didn't even know there was a 1978 version. Yeah, well, I, the, the one everyone knows is the 56 yeah. version uh, by Don Siegel, which was... People always look back on now because... Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle. He's, you know, he's still going strong. Um, it's one of those films that people said, you know, it's not really about aliens. It's about AIDS or communism mm-hmm. or, you know, witch hunts in sort of the movie industry. Um, but the 78 version uh, moved the setting to San Francisco and put uh, Donald Flowers Sutherland as the, the main man. And Jeff Goldblum also makes an appearance in this before he becomes snatched. King of the remakes. So he's in there, but it, it's, it, it changes the tone a bit and makes it a bit darker and a bit more compelling. So it's, uh, you know, the 56 one is good, but this is a, a worthy addition. Um, number four, The Thing from 1982 with uh, John Carpenter's uh, remaking the 1951 sci-fi horror called The Thing from Another World. Again, I only know the original. So really less, um, less subtle, the first one. The Thing from Another World. <laughs> But very much the exact... Doesn't leave a great deal to the imagination. No. So very much the same plot. I uh, wonder where this thing's going to be from... Oh, it says, it says it's at the end. Not this world. world. <laughs> not, not... It's an alien. Is this thing going to be from this world or potentially another world? No ambiguity. No. Not that anyone could... You know, if you've watched the thing from 1982, it's obviously not from this world. So, you know, you can do the maths yourself. The 50s was great. Like those old school horror films. Because isn't there... There's the thing and isn't there the blob? The blob with has Stephen McQueen in, <laughs> yeah. which is some terrible effects of, of a blob superimposed on a toy town thing. 
Um, and then number five, away from the horror mold, I've gone for Ocean's Eleven. Mm-hmm. Because the original one, Another from match, 1960, had starred the Rat Pack in all its glory, including Peter Lawford and Joe Bishop, who are the sort of add-ons to the, the central... <laughs> the no Sammy three. Davis Jr. No, and, and Dean Martin and Frank. So it was the extended Rat Pack in this one, but by all accounts, isn't a particularly good film and falls a bit flat. They should remake it with the Frat Pack. That'd be good. That would be exactly Seth Rogen trying to talk his way into a bank <laughs> and then get everyone stoned. Casino. <laughs> and you can put Method oh, Man Red Man in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so, one way of getting around security. Yeah, the Steven, Steven Soderbergh, Ocean's Eleven, 2001, is, you know, it's a cracking heist film. It it's incredible. got a good cast. There are a lot of shit eating grins. Because <laughs> when you've got George Clooney and Brad Pitt in a room, there's shit eating grins everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So that. Um, you know, mid Ocean's 12, Ocean's 13. Probably the less we say about them, the better. Mm-hmm. But they're remaking Ocean's 11 again. The, uh, remake, 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 remake. Remake again. Awesome. But with, what's the twist? The frat pack. No. Uh, um, it's with women. It is with women. <laughs> yeah. So there is you it, go. Is it um, Melissa McCarthy going to be in it? <laughs> and Sandra Bullock, obviously. <laughs> Melissa McCarthy is the go-to woman of remake remakes. They're the Samuel L. Jackson. They're, they're, they're the Denzel LL Cool Jackson. <laughs> Of the female world. Sandra M- Bullock. <laughs> and I think one of the ones I forgot to put in, or I sort of omitted it because I hadn't seen the original, was The Departed, which is mm. a remake of the Korean film, I think it is, Internal yeah. Affairs. Yeah. So, um, which I really need to see, Internal Affairs. No, I've heard good things about yeah, it, but they I said it is it. you know, exactly the same as The Departed. Yeah. So there you go. Some memorable, decent remakes, just to remind us that not all re- remakes are... A terrible, terrible idea. The thing from another world. This is the spot where it was first seen. And these are the first people who saw the thing. How did it get here? Where did it come from? What is it? Captain, it was awful. You could have seen those hands and those eyes. Captain, you've got to do something about it. You've got... Well, that's all for another week of Movie Men Action. But do make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at The Movie Men Show. Or if you have a real pressing need to get in touch, you can also email at themoviemen at live.com and get yourself over to the latestpictureshow.com for the latest from Johnny, which is... I was, you know, on topical with Magnificent Seven. Westerns are having a bit of a revival at the moment. Uh-huh. The Western revival. Yeah, and we just... Westworld's just started on television. Yeah, that looks interesting. So, you know, I think maybe something to write about the return of, of the Western, Rise mm-hmm. Back Into Town. Get back in there. Rootin', tootin', varmints, lootin'. Clint Eastwood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was on stage with Trump the other day, so... At least you know, it was better than when he was just on stage with a chair, talking to an empty chair. <laughs> one, of his, one of his weirder moments. Of, yeah. Yet another low point in the Clint Eastwood canon. Well, great stuff. Uh, we'll leave you with the immortal words then of Detective Alonzo Harris. And the motto I know I like to live my life by, King Kong can shit on me. <laughs> wait, wait a minute, is that...